0: Matthew 6, verses 16 through 21. One, two, three, read. This is the word of the Lord. God. God, we do ask that you would speak through your word this morning, that as we open this very precious gift, that it would shape us, that it would form us, that we would be changed by it. God, we do ask that your spirit would apply this word to us this morning. in your name we pray amen you may be seated on my desk in my office I I have a post-it note and on that post-it note are the names of six men six pastors uh, six pastors who have poured into me over the years and have invested in me and in the way I think about pastoral ministry the first person on that list uh well it 's my dad, and as I, as I look at this list it 's just this good reminder that I need other people, and that in my pastoral engagement with people around me, I might be like number one of seven on this list for them, like I might be investing in them on a season right now that, that somebody seven people down the line will see the fruit of that 's a good reminder for me, but it 's also a ro- reminder for me that, that this thing that I'm doing is not something that I did without people pouring into me. So I got my dad on this list and he just shaped the way that I thought about people. And and he shaped the way uh, that I thought about the grace required for me and the grace required that I would have for others and the necessity of seeing others as sinners in need of a savior just like I am a sinner in need of a savior. Second on that list is a man by the name of Sean Gibson. And and Sean Gibson had the unfortunate pleasure of uh, pouring into me when I was a punk teenager. And so uh, Sean Gibson really helped me to see and understand the importance of discipline and the importance of being discipled by someone further along the road than you. I have on this list Justin Edgar, and he showed me the beauty of the gospel, the beauty of the historic faith that we're a part of, that you and I today in 2023 are sitting in a room because for 2,000 plus years, men and women have carried the faith forward, and they have left great amounts of wisdom for us to learn from. He showed me the beauty of the gospel, the beauty of 2,000 years of Christians who have gone before us carrying this work. And then as I first, my my first pastoral job as a youth pastor was under a man by the name of John Lucas, and and he had the unfortunate gift of ministering uh, with me underneath him as I was trying to cut my teeth on what this is, what I'm doing here. But man, that guy was a pastor if I've ever seen one. Uh, His ability to sit with people in their most broken moments and bring the joy of Christ to them was supernatural. He shaped the way I think about the importance of listening and being present in the mess. And last but certainly not least, I left one out, but I'll get back to him later, uh, is Michael Mudloft. uh, He's currently investing in me. I meet with him once a month and we talk about ministry and he's about 28 years further down the line than I am in this. And I learn a lot from him. And man, I cannot tell you how blessed we are as a church that he does that. Like the way that he is poured into you by spending time with me when he doesn't have to. Like no one has shaped my love for God's word and God's people more than Michael Mudloff. I share these names with you because at various points in my life, each of these men has formed the way that I think about pastoral ministry. And really how I think about life I have in many ways become like them. Let me just be really clear. I didn't become like these men by hearing about them. I didn't become like these men by observing from afar. I became like these men by spending time with them. Over the last few weeks, we've been in a section of the Sermon on the Mount, in a section of Scripture that's focusing on the differences between a hypocritical life, which is like the actor who does religious activity in order to be seen, and we're contrasting that with the hidden life, the person who is motivated by God the Father who is in heaven, who sees in secret And while it's not explicit in this text, one of the clear takeaways from this section of the sermon is that our relationship with God cannot be primarily formed in the public eye. It must be shaped in secret. In this Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is inviting us to image him, to belong in his kingdom and to become like Him. And what I want us to see today from this overall section of the Sermon on the Mount is that we become like Christ by cultivating a hidden life with Him. We become like Christ by cultivating a hidden life with Him. In verses 16 to 18, Jesus brings us to this section on fasting. And when you fast. And there's the constant refrain that we've seen throughout the first 15 verses of this chapter. And it's this idea of there is an act, a religious act. It's a good act. We saw him talk about giving. We saw him talk about prayer. And now he comes to fasting. These good religious acts. When you do these things... You must recognize that there is an audience. There is an audience of others or your Father in heaven who sees in secret. And there is a motive. The hypocritical life is motivated by praise from others. The hidden life is always motivated by a right view of who God is. And he follows this same refrain, the act of the audience, the motive in relationship to fasting. He says fasting, it's a a good act. If we were to do a study on fasting, which we've done in the past here, what we'd learn is that fasting is used to recognize that there's a greater need for my dependence on the Lord. My dependence on God. It's a way of saying what I really need, more than food, more than anything else, what I really need is God and His presence. It's mourning that God's kingdom has not come in its fullness. It's looking around at the state of the world and going into a place of mourning, asking God to be near, asking God to come. If you've ever noticed, when you're grieving, you almost go into a forced fasting. You can't bring yourself to eat food. It's this recognition that these temporal things they don't provide the solution. You need something greater. It's a way of saying, I'm mourning because God's not here. I need more of Him, less of all these things, more of God. And this is why in, in this context, Jesus says they're looking gloomy. It's to show people that something's wrong with them, so that those might ask, that those people would ask them, what's going on? What are you, what are you feeling? Oh, I just haven't eaten today. How oh, haven't you eaten today? I'm fasting. Oh, you must be so holy. The act of fasting. And then there's an audience. The audience, as we've seen over the last three weeks is of the hypocritical life, is others. But the audience of the hidden life, those who cultivate a hidden life with God, is God and God alone. Verse 17, Jesus says to them, anoint your head. When you fast, anoint your head and wash your face. Now this might sound weird to us, but what Jesus is trying to get his original readers to see is that your mourning period is over. You, you hide the mourning period that you're in while you're fasting. People don't need to know what's going on in your inner life. People don't need to know that. People don't need to know what's going on in your inner spirituality with God. That's between God and you. You cultivate a hidden life with God. Cultivate hidden religion with God. Hidden spirituality with God. No one should be able to tell that you're doing this thing. The motive of the hypocritical life is what others will say and think about me. And so their spirituality is largely left to the public square. They will do things in public that they would never do in private, or they will make sure that everyone knows about their private spiritual life for the sake of others speaking well of them. Notice the motive at the end. For the sake of others speaking well of them. It's not to help somebody grow in their walk, saying, hey, these are some of the habits that have helped me. This might help you too. But it's specifically so that others would say, man, look at their spiritual life. Look at how impressive they are. And that's the motive of their hearts so that others would look at them and applaud. It's reputation management cultivating a view of who you are that does not reflect a hidden life with God, but instead reflects my desire to be seen by others. But the motive of the hidden life, the secret life, it's God and God alone who matters. Their spirituality is cultivated in private and it pours onto the pages of their lives, but not so that they can be seen by others, but because they know that God is with them. There's a difference. I want to make note about something, we, we have this three sections of scripture, those who give to the needy to be seen, instead give in secret so that your Father who sees in secret. Those who pray to be seen, instead pray in secret so that your Father who sees in secret. And here, those who fast to be seen and those who fast in secret. There's an implicit reality in this text that you and I are called to cultivate a type of life that does not happen in the public eye, but happens in our hidden moments. I want to make a note about something, a note about secret lives. Maybe not the secret life that we are talking about here, but we should have no secrets as Christians. And let me unpack what I mean by that countless times I've heard this story countless times I've lived this story where the sin that is true in private is hidden from the public eye but the good things about me are regularly brought out into the open we've all done this in a job interview right what are your strengths plenty of those what are your weaknesses I work too hard Sometimes I get impatient when people aren't getting the job as, done as well as I could. Okay. But the life that Christ is inviting us into is the exact opposite of that. The Christian life is one of shocking honesty about our weaknesses, shocking honesty about our sins, about our need for a Savior, and a hidden life with Christ behind that. Time spent that no one can see. And this is why Jesus is so concerned with the internal life of the believer. It's not who you are externally. You may say you believe in God, but what comes pouring out of you in secret, that's who you really are. Julie shared this quote with me yesterday from a book called Soul Care by Rob Reimer. It says this, it says, That which runs through your head unfiltered reveals that which is in your heart undealt with. I love that. That which runs through your head unfiltered reveals that which is in your heart undealt with. And part of the beauty of the gospel is that Jesus is inviting you and I into a whole person way of being in the world. He's inviting us into true humanity where our hidden self is cultivated with God He's coming to us and he's saying you are fully known in the secret place. I completely know you. There is no hidden life from me and I fully love you. And you and I are fully known by God and we are fully loved by him. While the opinion of the public is fickle and destined to change, God is fully aware of all your faults. Faults, all your flaws, all your weaknesses, and he fully loves you in spite of them. He's coming to us saying you are fully known, you are fully loved, and man, the freedom that comes from walking this practically, walking this out practically in our relationships with one another is just absolutely astounding. It's just absolutely astounding. Like when you can begin to throw away the mask of the hypocritical life, the mask of the hidden life, of the, the false religious life, and embrace a hidden life with God and a fully transparent life with others, you can't even begin to understand how miraculously freeing it is until you've walked in it. There are people in this room, including myself, who have spent a lot of time and energy in our lives cultivating a hypocritical life, when in secret we were broken beyond our own ability to repair it. And for some of us, God inspired us to confess that, to bring that out into the open. For others, God had so much grace for us that he was willing to bust us in our sin. That we were found out, which is such good news when that happens. It's an invitation to a life with no secrets when that happens. And, and those of us who have lived that life, we can tell you with authority that the hypocritical life is destructive and exhausting and it isn't worth it. How do we get out? Well, notice the refrain in verses 1 through 21. It shows up again in our passage today in verses 16 through 18 of rewards. It's this constant ask of what do you value? What do you love? Do you value the world's approval or do you you value God? Do you value what the world thinks or do you value what God thinks? Do you value what other people will say about you or do you value relationship with the living God of the universe? And then Jesus goes into this section, verses 19 through 21. I'm going to read it for us and then we'll unpack a little bit of it. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. Notice, we've just been talking about rewards for 21 verses, or for 17 verses. It's not an accident that he drives us home into this position. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. And then he ties all of this conversation together with a beautiful bow for where your heart For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also." There's some diagnostic questions Jesus is inviting us to ask through this section of the sermon. How do we know if I'm living a hypocritical life or if I'm living a hidden life with God? Well, what is your reward? How do you define success? And Jesus, He is after our very hearts. He wants us to see that the way we define those things will directly affect our spiritual lives and even more importantly, it will directly affect eternity. A hidden life with Christ is only possible through reordered desires. What we value shows what we love. What we value shows what we love. So, what do you love? We cannot change unless we are willing to be displeasing to ourselves. I want to invite you to take an honest look at your life and just ask these questions. What do my time, my thoughts, my spending habits, my frustrations, my life goals reveal about what I value? What do my time, my thoughts, my spending habits, my frustrations and my life goals reveal about what I love? The reason, this is Jesus' argument from the Sermon on the Mount, the reason you and I might find ourselves in places of stagnant growth, where we can't seem to grow in the Christian life, is always because we have disordered loves. We have loved something more than we should. Can I tell you the difficulty about the Christian life? Sometimes those things are good things that we've elevated to a pedestal above Christ, above God. It's a hard, it's a hard balance between stewardship and idolatry. It's a fine line. What do you love? Jesus invites us in to be with God, to to cultivate a life with him, to reorder who we are based upon his kingdom and his way of life. And this conversation about giving, about prayer, and about fasting is not telling you and I that we shouldn't do those things, but we need to be very clear about the motives behind those things. And if those things are only showing up in the public eye, then that reveals a lot about where our heart's at. You, you and I, we have to, we have to actively cultivate a life with God that is not just in public. We have to. We become like Christ when we cultivate a hidden life with Him. I want to invite us for a couple points of application. How do we do that? How do we cultivate a hidden life with God? How do we. How do we do things in our day that actively pursue a hidden life? Well, the first thing I would say in our day and age is that we need to actively be pursuing scripture before phone. Like time in the Bible and time in the Bible before you've had time with any other story that day. You see, we're being told stories all day of what to value, of what, is, what defines success or what are the things we should love. And time in the Word is also reordering our hearts to the things that God says we should love, God says we should value. And whether you realize it or not, when the first thing you do in the morning is go to grab the phone and look at news stories or look at social media, here's what's happening. You're being told what to value and it's shaping your thoughts. I'm not saying they're all bad things. Not even saying that we should throw our phones away, although I'm very tempted to go back to a flip phone. But I am saying that we should have a right order to what shapes our thoughts. To what shapes our values. The story of scripture over the stories of the world. And let me just encourage you, if you're in here and you're like, man, I I, I don't read my Bible every day, or, or I, I try to, but it's just, I've failed so often. Here's, here's my just gentle invitation for you. Like, start with one chapter a day. It will take you five minutes. If you don't have five minutes to read one chapter a day and just watch as that starts to shape and form you over time, then you need to reevaluate your priorities. <laughs> Just start one chapter a day. Man, my story in my life is I could not bring myself to read my Bible every day. I could not bring myself to do it. And Sean Gibson pulled me aside and he says, just read one chapter a day. Just start there. And do you know what happened? Over time, one chapter turned into more. Simple, just daily habits of going to these things, allowing them to shape us, allowing them to form us. I mean, this is how we think about building any type of habit. If I want to learn a skill, I practice it every day. If I want to get in shape, I go to the gym and I change my eating. I I change my habits to shape and form my life. Just begin with something. And I know that that sounds daunting to some of us. And I, I also know it sounds impossible to some of us specifically, man, if you're a young mom in here, like getting time in the Word every day sounds insane. Like this is so, man, this is so hard at that stage where like solitude is infrequent and when you get it, it seems to be filled with just getting caught up on all the things you need, that need to be done. And so, man, if you're a If you're a young mom in here, let me just give you an encouragement, two encouragements for you. The first thing is the best thing that you can do for your kids is to cultivate a hidden life with God. The absolute best thing you can do for your kids. Man, my mom, I'm who I am today because my mom loved God the way she did. And it just started to bleed over into the rest of the day. And so I just want to encourage you, like bring... Like if you have to bring your kids into it, bring your kids into it. Help them build that habit at a young age. It will be messy, it will be messy and you will be frustrated, but it will be so worth it. Like bring your kids into that process. Cultivate a life of being with God. And the second encouragement I have is there is a moment-by-moment moment grace for you. God is not waiting for you to get out of this season to begin his work in you. He's, he's with you here. He's with you now. He sees it all. He knows it all. And he is not waiting for you to arrive. He's with you in the middle of all the sleepless nights, all the exploding diapers, the tantrums, the never-ending list of things to do. He's there, and he's carrying you through it. Man, if you're a young father in here, you have young kids. Brothers, nothing is more important for our families than this. We need a life with Christ, a hidden life with Christ, if we ever hope to be the type of husbands and fathers that God is calling us to be. Man, I would also encourage you, young fathers, like help your wife with this. You cannot be the Holy Spirit for her, but you can help to make sure she has the space to be with God. If you are in here and you know of a single mother, I want to exhort you, or if you know of a military wife, I want to exhort you and encourage you, check in with them, offer to help, like, hey, can I come hang with the kids once a week so you can spend some time in the Word? Like, Build rhythms so that we can go and help these people do these important things for the rest of us maybe who don't find ourselves in those positions here's here's what I would just strongly advocate for look at your life and look at the values you have placed on your life where your treasure is there your heart will be also and I want to exhort you to treasure time in this book because it is through a hidden life with Christ that we become like him space and time in this word is so important The next thing I want us uh, to cultivate in our lives is building mechanisms into our day that remind us to pray. I know that sounds crazy that you would need to be reminded to pray, but I don't even remember what I had for lunch on Friday. So I probably need some help remembering to pray as well. And just notice over time, as you build in those mechanisms into your life, what that will start to build in your life, habit starts to shape, and it starts to form, and over time, it doesn't become something you have to try to do, it becomes something you just naturally do. And you find yourself praying, and over time, that prayer starts to become a continual conversation. And nobody can see it. And because it's in our text today, fasting. There are seasons in our lives where we need drastic reordering. And fasting can be an excellent way to empty ourselves of lesser loves so that we can be filled with the only thing we truly need. My last one that I want to invite us into and strongly encourage us toward is a practice of Sabbath, a practice of rest. Um, We live in a busy age, and it's calling for all of your time, all of your attention, and all of your energy. I've met with a lot lot of uh, college and student ministries over the last few weeks, and I've just been asking them, man, like, what's one of the biggest problems you guys face? Like what is, what is one of the biggest problems you guys face right now in this day and age with this generation that's coming up? And one of the biggest problems they're facing is that kids are so busy with school, sports, and extracurricular activities that they don't have time to cultivate a relationship with God. Our culture is discipling us in a pathway that says if you do all of these extra things, if you give your life to these things, it'll pay off for you. And it never does. It never does. we have to be a people that cultivates a practice of slowing down and sitting at the feet of Jesus, looking to Him, cultivating a hidden life with Him. And I know how hard that is because I'm in it. But if we don't do it, if we don't start to make drastic changes to cultivate a hidden life with God, we will continue in the pathway that we have been on where people keep looking at the church and saying, they're just not the people they claim to be. They're not who they claim to be. Man, I know that. Man, that's true about me. There are moments in my life where I feel like, man, how come I cannot seem to get this together? And there is grace for that, and there's grace in abundance for that, and God is not waiting until we get it together to love us, remember, fully known and fully loved, and yet he's inviting us to cultivate a life with him that will start to shape and form every aspect of our being. That's the invitation in the Sermon on the Mount. It's it's to help us to see, man, we need this Jesus. We need this greater righteousness. We need a hidden life with him. And without a hidden life with him, we will never be able to walk out in love for others, in love for God, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. God is inviting us to be with him, to live in communion with the triune God, As we become more like Christ is the purpose of our entire existence. And we become like Christ by cultivating a hidden life with him. I want to exhort us and encourage us that one of the best things we can do for ourselves, for our homes, for our city, for our nation, is start to cultivate a life that is hidden with God and from there move out in mission to others in love for God, love for his people that all flows from a hidden life cultivated with God. Let's pray. God, I thank you for your word for this constant refrain in this passage. Your Father who sees in secret. God, you are far above. You are wholly other, and yet you are intimate, and you are near to us. And we desperately need you. And so, Lord, I pray that you would help us to build patterns and habits into our lives where we are growing in our knowledge and love of you outside of the public eye, where we are developing an intimate relationship with you because we know that we need you and you are who our hearts desire. God, we want you to be where our treasure is. We want it to be you that we're after. We want it to be you that we're pursuing. And so, God, I pray that you would help us to do that. God, I pray that your spirit would move in power, that you would convict where we need conviction, that you would encourage where we need encouragement, that you would exhort where we need exhortation. Help us, Lord. It's in your name we pray. Amen.